Welcome to the Siski Christian Fellowship Podcast. Our prayer is that the following verse-by-verse teaching of God's Word would bring you closer to Jesus. And I got to tell you, I really do love the way that the Bible, it just covers everything. It, it really does. Every aspect of life, no matter what it is we're going through or dealing with or or looking at, man, the Bible deals with it. And tonight we're going to look at that simple reality. How are we to interact with each other as the body of Christ? How are we to uh, interact with each other as the church family? Uh, You know, how do we deal with differences of opinions when they come up? How do we deal with differences of convictions uh, when they come up? And, you know, Paul has really encouraged us as we've been looking at the last couple uh, chapters. He's really encouraged us, especially in chapter 14 that we just finished up on uh, Sunday. He's really been encouraging us to just keep the main thing the main thing, to keep Jesus at the center of everything that we do. That Jesus is the main thing. That if we keep our eyes fixed on our Savior, man, everything else falls into place. But as soon as we get our eyes off the Lord, man, that's when things start to get a little bit dicey. That's when our eyes begin to wander and we're tempted to fix eight on each other and what we're up to. And then we start getting bent out of shape. Boy, we start getting offended and we start getting our feathers ruffled. And, and boy, it's just not a good thing. And Paul has been really encouraging us, man, keep the main thing the main thing. Because there's no shortage of opportunity for offense. There's no shortage of opportunity uh, for us to be divided and to, to disagree. When you get a group of people together, boy, there's bound to be disagreements in one area or another. And if we allow those disagreements to take center stage, if we allow the peripheral to become the focus, boy, then we're not walking uh, in the things that the Lord has called us to walk in. Because unity, as we talked about, is very important to the Lord. And so we're not to let those non-essential doctrines take center stage. And, you know, Paul gave us some examples of that. We've talked about it a lot over the last couple of sessions, last Sunday and then uh, the Sunday before that. And in chapter 14, Paul gives us the examples of dietary structure, the dietary laws of the Jews, and then of kind of special days. And we've talked about this, how meat in our society, in our culture, has become and is becoming more increasingly one of those hot-button issues, one of those controversial things, whether or not it is moral to eat meat in light of the quote-unquote climate crisis that we're facing. And as that sort of gains momentum in society, it begins to creep into the church. And like I shared with you a couple weeks ago, boy, there is this movement within the church for uh, Christians. If you're really a Christian, then you should be a vegan. And so, you know, there's these, these controversies that are, are popping up. Should a, a Christian celebrate Halloween? Should a, a Christian do uh, certain things on Easter? Do you do Easter egg hunts or the Easter uh, basket on Easter? Uh, should a Christian put up a Christmas tree? Like we talked about on Sunday, is it okay for a Christian to drink alcohol or to smoke cigarettes? All of these things, they're all side issues. They're all non-essential issues. They're all minors. But we find ourselves majoring on those things. And boy, we get all heated and we have our stances and we got our verses ready. And here's the thing. Paul warns us, be careful. When your eyes are on each other instead of Jesus, trouble is inevitable. And so what has Paul 
been really admonishing us to do? What has his advice been in this arena, in this area? When it comes to uh, being divided or uh, contentious over non-essential doctrines, Paul says, hey man, listen, uh, don't judge. Don't judge each other. If you have something that is uh, burdening your conscience, then don't do that thing. But also don't lay a heavy burden on your brother and say, you're not allowed to do that thing either. That's not your job to play God in life. Paul says, don't judge. Also, Paul tells us, hey, don't cause your brother to stumble. That's the other side of that coin. Hey, you know what? Those of you who are enjoying liberty, uh, don't enjoy your liberty to the point that it causes your brother to stumble. If someone has a conscience uh, that is violated uh, when they eat meat, don't invite them over for steak. It's pretty straightforward. Uh, Paul also tells us not only should we not judge others, he not uh, only tells us to not cause each other to stumble, but he says, don't violate your own conscience. If there's something that is wrong to you, then it's a sin if you engage in it. And then Paul tells us uh, that we are to even go further, right? He, he starts out with the things that we shouldn't do. Don't cause your brother to stumble. Don't judge. Don't violate your conscience. But then as we looked at on this most recent Sunday, he said, but what should you do? You should love you should teach. You should build up. We should be doing everything that we can to help each other grow in Christ. Our different backgrounds, our different convi uh, convictions, we should be doing everything that we can to build each other up and to help each other grow in Christ. We're the body of Christ. That's what we do. We're supposed to pull together. No man left behind. Uh, we're all to make sure that we're in it to win it. And now tonight, Paul is going to uh, continue on in that vein of things that we ought to do. We ought to love, we ought to teach, we ought to build each other up, but we ought to bear with one another. That's what Paul is going to show us tonight, that we should bear with one another. So we're going to pick up our text in verse 1 of chapter 15. And it says, We then, who are strong, ought to bear with the scruples of the weak, and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. So now Paul kind of adds to that, uh, to love and to teach, admonish, to build each other up, to edify. And now he says that the stronger should bear with the scruples of the weak. Now Paul puts himself in the category of the stronger. Paul says, I'm a stronger brother. I'm putting myself in that category. And what we should do as stronger brothers and sisters in the Lord is that we should bear with the, the scruples of the weak. Now, that is not a word we use often. Uh, different translations use different words. Maybe your Bible says that we should deal with the failings of the weak or that we should deal with the infirmities of the weak or that we should deal with the weaknesses of the weak. But scruples really kind of nails it down. And that's what it means in the original uh, text, it's, it's, uh, it's infirmities. Uh, you know, but scruples really, it really clears it up because scruple, it, it means it's a feeling of doubt or a hesitation with regard to morality. It, it, it's again, it's what we've been talking about. It's that violation of our conscience that those of us who are strong in the Lord ought to bear with the weaker brother or sister with their, with their thing. Right? Where they are bothered by the things that we take liberty in, we should bear with them. Now, 
who is the stronger brother and who is the weaker brother, right? Because it's been a little bit since we've talked about this, and Paul makes it very clear. In this illustration, in this really actual real-life kind of dispute that they were having there in the church of Rome regarding meat, Paul says that the one whose conscience is violated, the one whose conscience will not allow him to eat the meat, that is the weaker brother, the one who is more judgmental, the one who is more even pharisaical, the one who would uh, seek to judge others, that was the weak brother. The stronger brother was the one who was enjoying the freedoms uh, of the Lord and saying, man, thank you, Lord, you blessed me with this steak and I'm just going to enjoy it. I'm going to do all things unto your name, Jesus. I love you. Uh, that was the stronger brother. Now, that's interesting. And, uh, you know, I kind of made light of it and joked about it a couple weeks ago because I enjoy eating steak. And I thought, boy, isn't that fun, an opportunity to poke fun at those who don't eat, eat meat. But it seems like it would be just the opposite, doesn't it? It, it seems like it would be the, the strict, stringent, sort of legalistic Christian who has all the do's and don'ts that would be the more mature uh, brother or sister, but it's, it's not the case. It's actually just the opposite. It's the, the one who's freed up in Christ to enjoy uh, the blessings of the Lord. That one is the, the stronger brother. And so the stronger brother, the stronger sister, is to bear with the, the scruples or the infirmities or the failings or the weaknesses of the weak brother and sister. And so what does it mean to bear with the weaker brother? To bear with the weaker sister. It doesn't mean that you just kind of bear it, like, oh, I'm just going to bear it. <laughs> I'm going to put up with them. Jeez, they're driving me crazy with all this, you know, conscience being burdened here and there, and I can't have a stake in front of them, or I can't do this. Uh, you know, we're not to just uh, bear with them. We're not to just bear it and like, oh, here comes Susan. Boy, we just got to bear it. Here we are. Hey, Susan, we're not eating meat. You know, it's not the barbecue. We're not to bear it like that. We're to, to bear up. The idea is to get underneath of them, to shore them up. Where they're weak, boy, where that weight of being weak, boy, as stronger Christians, you can help bear it up. Anybody ever lift weights? I've lifted weights. I know you can't tell by my physique, but I have lifted weights in my life. And there's that moment when you're bench pressing and you're trying to go for uh, your personal best under the bench press. And the thing is, when you're going for a personal best, you have to bring yourself to that point of failure. You don't know where your personal best is. And the problem is... In that particular situation, when you are just like, ah, uh, there's all this weight bearing down, and you're like, I can't lift it, I can't lift it, and you got your spark, sure you can't, you're like, no man, really I can't, I'm going to die. That's what, I'm, I'm just dying under that weight. We're to come under and help with the weight. We're to be the spotters of the weaker brother and sister in Christ, and that's what Paul is talking about here. It's more than just to bear with, it's to bear up, to use our strength to come alongside of them and to help them in their spiritual uh, development. And, uh, you know, our temptation is to be to, to, to come down or to get frustrated. But that's what Paul says. He says, no, bear up, bear up, help them out, cause each other to grow. And he tells us that we are to, uh, you know, bear with the scruples of the weak and, and to not please ourselves. See, we're not to be selfish. We're not to be those who are worried about our own interests first and foremost as Christians. We are to be more concerned with our brother and sisters. Uh, you know, we're to, to each one of us please his neighbor. 
And again, that means that we are looking out for each other's best interests. Isn't that nice? When somebody that's uh, around you, the group of people, that they're looking out for you, that where you might have a blind spot or where you might have a weakness, boy, they're there. They're, I've got your back, brother. That's how the church should be. We should have each other's back. We should be looking out for blind spots and, and, and in the weakness. But our tendency really can be to look out for numero uno, to look out for ourselves. And then, like, if we have time, maybe I'll look out for you or I'll look out for, for others. It's kind of like the two guys who went on a day hike up to a high mountain lake. They got up there, and it was hot, and they took off their shoes, and they went for a dip. And, and they were sitting there eating their lunch. And the one hiker said to the other one, hey, man, do you see that grizzly bear? Oh, I do. And he got closer and closer and closer. And so one guy started putting on his shoes, and his friend said, dude, what are you doing? You can't outrun a grizzly bear. He said, I know. I just have to outrun you. <laughs> see, we can be that way with each other. We can say, oh, you know what? I'm just going to run in my liberty, and if you get taken out, if you get taken down, if you get gobbled up, hey, man, that's on you. But we're to be looking out and taking care of each other, just like it tells us. They're in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, I think it's in verse 3 and 4. We're going to find out here. <clears throat> yeah. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Man, what a word for us. And, and that's exactly what Paul is telling the church in Rome here. He said, man, be looking out for each other. It's not a dog-eat-dog world. If your brothers and sisters around you are getting gobbled up because you just ran off, guess who suffers? We do. Well, what did Paul liken the church to? We are the body of Christ. And when one part of the body suffers, man, the whole body suffers. And so we are to love each other. But how are we to bear with each other? How are we to please our neighbor? How are we to be selfless instead of being selfish? Right? Because selfishness, man, that comes naturally. None of us had to teach our children how to say mine. Right? When they're babies, now this is how you rip the toy out of your friend's hand and say mine. All right, good boy. No, it comes naturally. We have to teach them to share. Selfishness comes naturally to us. Right? We had to teach our children that the world does not revolve around you. And Paul here, he's saying, man, you need to bear with one another. You need to make others more important than you. You need to not be selfish. How? Well, Paul tells us there in verse 3. He says we are to follow Jesus' example. He said, uh, for even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. So Jesus did not live his life to please himself, did he? And Jesus lived his life to please who? The Father. And he lived to do the Father's will. John 5.30 says, I seek not my own will, but the will of the Father which has sent me. There in the Garden of Gethsemane, just the night before Jesus was crucified, he cried out to the Lord and prayed, and he said, man, if there's any way for this cup to pass from me, what cup? The cup of wrath, the, the, the punishment for the sins of the world being poured out on Jesus. Lord, if there's any way for this to pass from me, 
let it be so. But not my will, your will be done. Jesus was surrendered. He didn't live for himself. He lived the, for the, the will of the Father. And Paul here, he quotes Psalm 69 to, to really demonstrate Jesus' great sacrifice. That Jesus didn't live for himself. Jesus paid a tremendous price to save us. The, the penalty that we deserved, the, the scorn and the abuse and the punishment that was due me and due you, Jesus, he took it upon himself. Now, if you are a stronger Christian and you think to yourself, man, you know, what a great sacrifice I have made by, by bearing up with the weak brother or sister, by abstaining from my liberty, Boy, when you consider the sacrifice that Jesus made, it kind of puts things into focus, right? Your sacrifice by not eating a steak while your vegetarian friends are around uh, doesn't seem like that big of a deal in light of all that Jesus has done for us. And that's important. That's why Paul says, hey, follow Jesus' example. And he lived a sacrificial, sacrificial life. He lived a life where he was concerned with the well-being of others before his own well-being. And that's what we are to do. And here's the truth of the matter. Sometimes we think, well, I'm going to live this sacrificial life. And, and, and I'm going to lay down some of my liberties for the benefit of the weaker brother or sister. What a drag that's going to be. I'm not going to get to live or, or enjoy all that the Lord has for me. You know, that's a total lie from Satan. What happens really is when you begin to live your life sacrificially, what happens? Man, blessing. What did Jesus say? If you seek uh, to, to, to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for my name's sake, then you'll find it. When we live lives as Christians, we say, Lord, my life is yours. I don't care about my liberty. I don't care about my freedom. I don't care about me, me, me. But Lord, I care about your will and loving my brother and sister. What we find in that, boy, is great joy and, and, and great blessing. And so Paul says, boy, how do you bear up or bear with the weaker brother and you follow Jesus' example. He said, well, great, that's easy. I just follow the, the, the example of the, the, the most perfect man who ever walked the face of the planet. Great, easy. I'll just check that off my list. I'll live life like Jesus did. You can go get yourself a WWJD bracelet, slap that bad boy on. I said that the other day. So, oh, you know, WWJD, and, and one of the young men I was with was like, WWJD, what does that even mean? I was like, oh, man, I'm so old. They don't even know. It's what would Jesus do for those of you who don't know? Uh, but Paul says, follow Jesus' example. Well, how do we follow Jesus' example? And Paul goes on to show us that we f follow Jesus' example, that, that we are to bear with the, the weaker brother or sister, that we're to live sacrificially for one another, right, through the strength and through the power of God's word, of prayer, and by the Holy Spirit. Check it out. Look at verse 4. Paul continues on and he says, For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. So right after he tells us that we are to follow the example of Jesus in bearing up and living sacrificially for our brother and sister, he tells us that uh, these things that were written before were written for our learning. Now what things were written before? What things are Paul uh, referring to? Well, he's referring to God's word. Those are the things that were written before the scriptures. And he says that in the scriptures, uh, you know, 
For whatever things are written before were written for our learning that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. But there's comfort, there's patience, there's hope found in the scriptures. And again, man, I love studying the Bible. It's one of those things that if you are just a baby Christian, man, you can wade around in the shallow end of the Bible and find so much wonderful truth and encouragement. But then if you have been walking with the Lord for many years and you've been studying and diving deep, man, you can just uncover layer after layer after layer of truth and connections and treasures, the depths of which you can never find the bottom of. But again, as I began this morning, one of the reasons I appreciate the Bible so much is that there's no situation in life that's not covered in Scripture. If you want to know what to do in any given situation in your life, uh, you know, whether that's spiritual or relational or vocational or political or financial, whatever it is, man, the Bible covers all of it. The Bible is our guide. It's, it's written for our learning, that's what Paul said. It's written that we might know what to do. Uh, you know, maybe some of you remember the, the, the kids' song that we taught our kids, the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. Bible, we're going to start doing that one for worship, get you guys moving. But it's so true. Basic instructions before leaving earth, the Bible's been called. All the instruction you need for life is found in the scriptures. And like we talked about on Sunday, there in Psalm 119, God's word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. God's word is a guide. It shows us what we should do and when we should do it. It points us in the direction that we should go. 2 Timothy 3.16. Man, I hope you guys know this scripture. I hope you have it memorized. But all of God's word, all scripture, it's God-breathed. And it's profitable for doctrine. That is, why do we think what we think? It's profitable for reproof. That is, it shows us where we have gone wrong. It's profitable for correction. It shows us how to fix those areas that we've gone wrong. And it's profitable for instructions in righteousness. It shows us how to live our lives that we might not need correction or reproof. Why? That we might be equipped for every good work that God has for us. That's the Bible. Hebrews 4.12 tells us that God's word is alive and living, that it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and, and, and uh, marrow and joint and it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That is the Bible with surgical precision is able to speak into my life and yours and cut away those things that are not of the Lord and separate those things that are, that, that, that are of, of God. It's that fine line. And you guys know it. There's that fine line sometimes. You're like, is that me? Is that the pizza I ate? Is that this emotional state I'm in? Or is that the Lord? Do you know what divides that line? God's word tells us, no, that, that was the pizza, buddy. That's not God's word. Oh, that's not God's will. And so we know, and that's why we are to hide God's word in our heart. That's why we are to study to show ourselves approved unto God. That's why we are to be able to rightly divide the word of truth. That's why we're to be doers of the word and not hearers only. And again, this is a reiteration. We talked about this on Sunday because it came up in chapter 14. But it's so important that we're governed by God's word, because in our day and age, people are tossed to and fro uh, with every new doctrine that, that, that comes around. 
And people are so influenced by the quote-unquote truth that the world has to offer. And again, truth is not relative. Truth is not dependent upon the circumstances. Maybe you guys saw this on the news, uh, I think it was last week, a couple days ago, that, uh, you know, there was a, a congresswoman who put some uh, college presidents really on the hot seat. And she, she confronted the, the president of MIT and the president of Penn uh, State University and the, who was it? It's Harvard was the other one. And asked this very direct question and said, you know, does calling for uh, basically the extermination of the Jewish people violate uh, like your code of conduct at your school? And each one of these presidents with just a smug straight face, well, you know, it kind of depends on the circumstances. What do you mean it depends on the circumstances? Under what circumstances is calling for the genocide of the Jewish people an acceptable thing, right? That's always wrong, no matter what. It doesn't matter what the circumstances are. And these are the places of higher learning who are setting the bar. This is what truth is. That's nonsense. And so if you're saying, man, Pastor Jeremy, we've heard it, man, we can't hear it enough. This is our true north. This is our source of truth. Because I tell you what, the enemy is making a full-time job out of pawning off things that aren't truth as the real deal. And people are gobbling it up. And we're willing to follow each other off the cliffs uh, of life just like lemmings did. You guys remember that? You see the videos, the little, those little furry creatures falling each other off the cliff. And so we use that as an example. Oh, don't be like a lemming. And just, just because everybody else is jumping off a cliff, do you want to jump off a cliff? That was based on a uh, documentary in like 1958 that Disney put on. Do you know that that whole thing was staged and someone scared the lemmings off the cliff and they don't actually do that? And I thought to myself, how fitting. This example that we use to show our gullibility, we were all super gullible and said, oh yeah, everybody knows lemmings jump off the cliff. No, they actually don't. That was the whole thing. But all that to say, man, don't follow the truth that the world has to offer because it's not actually true. And so... Uh, man, stronger Christians. Boy, we can become frustrated. We can become impatient with the weaker believer. Uh, but God's word gives us the patience and the encouragement that we need to be uh, uh, really there to build up and support and care for the weaker brother. Uh, so Paul says, first of all, man, we can be strengthened uh, in prayer, how are we going to bear with the, the, the weaker Christian? How are we going to uh, walk in Jesus' example by the, through the, the strength and the power of uh, God's word? And then prayer. Paul, in verse 5, he, he just begins to pray for unity for the church there in, uh, in Rome. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded towards one another according to Christ Jesus that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul first says, man, those things that were written of old, and they were written for our learning. Man, we ought to find our strength from God's word. Uh, also, uh, we find strength to follow the Lord and his will and his, uh, his example through the, the strength of prayer. Uh, Paul Again, he just prays and says, Lord, would you give this church patience? Would you, would you help this church uh, be uh, uh, filled with, with unity? And what a lesson for us. Because so often prayer, man, it can become kind of our backup plan. 
it can kind of become our plan B. It can become like the last-ditch effort. Oh, man, I, I've tried everything. Maybe now I should try to pray. I've shared this with you guys before. I, I'm terrible at losing things. And I lose my wallet. I lose my phone. I lose my keys. I really would lose my head if it wasn't attached to my shoulders. That's the truth. And I used to lose things all the time. I'd be looking for them. And I'd be all cranky. And Stefan, uh, the, the man who planted this church, I helped him plant it. And he always used to say, have you prayed yet? And then I would just be, like, see, I knew I hadn't prayed. So not only was I walking in disobedience because I prayed, but then I'd get cranky and prideful. And then I would pray. And then you know what would happen when I prayed? I'm not even kidding. The Lord is so faithful in my life. And I don't know if this is just me, but I encourage you all to try it out. You can report back to me. But when I lose my keys, I can try with all the effort that I have in my whole body to find my keys. And you get to know what? I never find my keys. And then I stop and I say, Lord, would you please find my keys for me? Would you help me? And lo and behold, they're in my pocket, or whatever the case may be. The Lord just helps. And what a wonderful truth that is, that, that prayer, it just works. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much, James 5.16 tells us. That is the truth. And we see all throughout the Bible. Hannah, she was barren. She prayed. She conceived. Hezekiah, he was sick. He prayed. He lived for a bonus 15 years. Uh, Daniel, Daniel and his buddies, Boy, they were in a bad situation. The king was going to kill them. He prayed. The Lord gave Daniel revelation of King Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and they were all spared. Peter, locked up in prison. The church, they prayed, and an angel showed up to Peter and broke him out of jail. Jesus was our greatest example in prayer. The Bible tells us that we're to pray without ceasing. We're to pray continually. It's a big uh, thing in the life of a Christian. We're to be those who are about prayer. But Jesus, he led by example. And in Mark 1, it says, Now in the morning, having risen a long while before the daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. Uh, the Lord was a man of prayer. And so prayer and we are to pray. Why? Because it just changes things. God says, man, are you trying to do these things in your own effort? Are you trying as a, a mature believer to, to bear under the weight, to, to look out for, to have the back of a weaker Christian? Good luck doing that on your own. And we need to be encouraged by God's word. We need to be strengthened by spending time in prayer uh, with the Lord. Because when we pray, man, things happen. Our circumstances change. But like you guys have heard me say so many times, not just our circumstances, but our perspective. Our hearts are changed through prayer. So often when I'm dealing with something, I go to the Lord and I just pour out my heart. And you know what? Those circumstances, they don't always change. To tell you the truth, it's rare that my circumstances just change. Sometimes they do, and I'm so glad for those miracles. But sometimes, often, what the Lord does is he changes my perspective and he changes my heart. And he gives me a peace where there wasn't. You guys remember the story of Elisha back in 2 Kings? Elisha was uh, the protege of Elijah, and he was a, a mighty prophet of the Lord. And the king of Syria, he was trying to put the moves on Israel militarily. But every time he put the move on Israel, Israel knew what he was going to do before he did it. Because Elisha, he had this connection. The Lord was telling him, Elisha, go and tell the king of Israel that the king of Syria is going to be putting the moves on him uh, you know, uh, on Maine and Oregon at 3 o'clock on Sunday. And sure enough, that would happen. And so the king of Syria was like, man, who's reading my mail? Who is this that's busting my chops and blowing my cover? And he said, it's Elisha. And so they went to Dothan, where Elijah, 
Elisha and his uh, servant were. And Elisha's servant walks out on the porch, and what does he see? The king's army surrounding him. He's like, oh, master, what are we going to do? And you remember what Elijah said? He said, oh, don't worry about it. Uh, those who are with us are greater than them. And then he prayed and said, Lord, would you show them? And Elisha's, or Elisha's servant saw the, the, the army that was there, the, the angels, the spiritual army, and, and he was okay. So often when we pray, and circumstances don't change, it's our perspective. It's our heart. Never underestimate that uh, when it comes to prayer. And so, uh, again, boy, we find the strength to love and to shore each other up and to bear each other's uh, burdens in his word, in his prayer, and, and through the Holy Spirit. Right Now, Paul doesn't directly uh, mention that in this text, but it, it's just a reality. It's, it's connected to everything. Uh, we were given the Holy Spirit when we were saved. Again, to live selfishly, it comes natural to our carnal nature. It, it's just the thing that we do. My carnal man is quite content being self-centered, but I find the strength to live sacrificially, not only through God's word, not only through prayer, but also by the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, John 16, 7, Jesus says this. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Now, remember, he's telling the disciples this, who had given up their lives to, to hang out and dedicate everything they were to Jesus. And Jesus is saying, well, I I'm going away. What do you mean you're going away, Lord? Well, what about, what about the kingdom? We've been arguing about who's going to be greatest in the kingdom for like three years now. Now you're just going away? And Jesus says, it's good for me to go away. What, what do you mean it's good It's uh, for my advantage that you go away? Jesus says, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him. See, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. The Holy Spirit dwells in me. And the Bible says that he's our helper, that, that he leads us and guides us and empowers us and helps us to walk out God's will in our lives. So important that we recognize that. All of these things that we've talked about that have to do with Christian living, boy, these aren't things that come natural to our carnal nature, and we need the Holy Spirit to, to walk those things out. Galatians uh, tells us that if we walk in the, the Spirit, uh, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh, right? So if, if we're, we're, we've got this war going on, you know, we have these two parts of our being, our carnal nature, selfish, wants to do something. Our spirit is connected with the Lord and wants to do the right thing. How is it that we, we strengthen the spirit? Boy, he tells us, walk in the spirit and you won't fulfill the Lord. Well, then how do you walk in the spirit? Just like we've been talking to. Boy, spend time in God's word. And that's the first thing Paul mentioned. See how I brought it all back around like that? Uh, spend time in prayer, right? Spend time in worship. When we spend time uh, walking closer to the Lord, Man, we don't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And so why is any of this important? Why is it important for us to love each other and, and bear up one another? Well, Paul tells us that we, with one mind and one mouth, might glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that with one mind and one mouth, we may glorify God. Division is a distraction from the design of adoration. When we are divided, man, we are distracted from the design of adoration. God has a design in place for us. He says, my will, my plan for you is to be united, to glorify me together. When we allow our flesh to get in the way, when we allow the enemy to divide, boy, we're distracted from the purpose to which God has called us. When we are bickering, praise is not ascending. When we are fighting, God is not being glorified. 
And the enemy, boy, he's a sneaky one. And so it's important. So why are we to even be united men? To glorify the Lord uh, united. And, you know, it's interesting to me, the more that we study together, the more that we pray together, the more that we spend time in worship together, the more unified we are. Right? Again, it has to do with us keeping our eyes fixed on our Savior. But, but all these things that Paul is talking about uh, comes into play here. Uh, we'll tackle this last little section. I promise I'll go quicker than I did with the first section. Verse 7. Therefore, receive one another, just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Now, I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God, to confirm the promises made to the fathers and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written. For this reason, I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, laud him, all you peoples. And again, Isaiah says, there shall be a root of Jesse, and he who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him the Gentiles shall hope. So Paul, uh, in, in this vein of, of unity within the body of Christ, says, hey man, instead of tearing one another uh, down, build each other up. Instead of fighting, love one another. Instead of rejecting and being fractured, receive one another. We, even in our differences, we're to receive each other. What a beautiful word that is. To receive, we all know what it's like to be on the outside looking in, on the outside of a conversation, on the outside of a friend group, on the outside of a clique. That's not the way the church is to be. We are to receive each other. We're to invite each other in. But what does that look like? How are we to receive one another? Well, Paul's very specific. He says, you guys receive each other like Christ received you. Well, that makes us stop and say, well, how did Jesus receive us? And how did Jesus receive you? How did Jesus receive me? Was there a laundry list of prerequisites that Jesus said, oh, well, I'll receive you after this, that, and the other? Were there a bunch of hoops that we had to, to jump through or expectations that we had to live up to? No. How do we come to Jesus? How did he receive us? Just the way we were. Just the way we were. Pure grace, knowing yet bearing with our faults. That's the way Jesus received us, and that's the way we're to receive each other. We are to come uh, as we are. We're to accept people as they are. Weak, poor, lost, lame, broken. And again, I want to stress this point. Jesus did not save you to leave you where he found you. Okay? Uh, you, know, you may have been struggling with any manner of issue. Alcoholism, uh, anger, lying, stealing, hatred, unforgiveness, sexual sin when, when Jesus saved you. Uh, but Jesus' arms were open wide. He says, Come. Come as the filthy, weak, lost sinner that you are, and I will save you. I will clean you up. But over time, as we walk with the Lord, evidence that we are saved will manifest itself in the form of fruit, uh, of repentance and spiritual maturity in our lives. If you are here this evening, and you're walking in the exact same filth that you were 20 years ago, if your life hasn't changed one bit, if there's no... Guilty conscience about the things that you've been, and you're just still, hey, just sinning and saying, hey, Jesus accepts me just the way I am. There's something wrong. That ain't right. That something was missed there. You need to go back and start over because that's not what it looks like. Jesus, he accepts us right where we are, 
But then he begins to do a work in our life. And so often we take this, uh, this precept, this truth about Christianity that Jesus receives us with open arms in all of our sin and say, well, then I can just continue on in my sin. That's not what Paul is talking about here. We're to receive each other without the, the prerequisites, uh, without you meeting my expectations of what a Christian should look like. Hey, man, you're safe. Come on, let me help you out. Let me get up underneath you. Let me cause you to, to grow in the Lord. Uh, remember, this whole discussion that we're having is under the umbrella of non-essential doctrine. This is not about clear-cut commandments. And, and I have to say that. When we cross these bridges, because there are churches that would say, hey, Jesus saved you when you were homosexual, so come into the church and enjoy being gay and a homosexual or a gay and a Christian at the same time. That's not what, what the Bible is, is talking about. And so we're to walk in unity, absolutely. Uh, we are to receive each other as Christ accept us, yes. Uh, but unity does not mean that there's no place for correction, so understand that. And then Paul gets into this section uh, now, before all these quotations, where he says that just as Christ received us to the glory of God, now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made to the fathers and that the Gentiles uh, might glorify God for his mercy. So the early church, right? Pop quiz, church fam. Uh, you know, there was this cultural clash going on. What were the two main groups in the church? The Jews and the Gentiles. And so Paul here very clearly says, hey, guys, check this out. Where there's division, don't forget that God brought unity to all men through Jesus. Not just the Jew, but the Gentile also. That when Jesus came, man, Jesus came as a servant to the Jew to keep his promises that he made to the patriarchs, that the Savior indeed would come, that the Messiah uh, would come to fill, fulfill his covenantal promises. But Jesus also came to bring mercy to the Gentiles. As it is written. See, and, and that's what Paul does here. He quotes all of these different passages, four different passages that are really prophetic passages that say that the Gentiles will come to be followers of the true and living God, Yahweh, the, the God of the Jews. Now, that is a profound statement. That is a profound thing to predict, that the heathen, that the Gentiles of the world would come to serve the God of the Jews, Yahweh, the true and living God. And yet, it came to pass. It came to fruition. Prophecy, prophecy, prophecy. And I love the Bible for so many reasons. And again, prophecy is one of those reasons. It was prophesied that the Gentiles would serve the God of the Jews. And sure enough, they did. Prophecy is one of those things that sets the Bible apart from all other religious works. Over 2,500 prophecies in the scripture, 2,000 of which have been fulfilled with perfection. Meaning what? That the 500 or so left to be fulfilled, you think we can trust those ones? hundred percent. God's track record is perfect. If he kept the 2,000, he'll keep the 500 remaining. And it's so important for us to remember in this Christmas season, right, we celebrate the first advent of Jesus. We remember with grateful hearts, with great joy that the king was born. He entered into humanity and he rescued us from our sin but see, during this holiday season, during this Christmas season, as we're keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, I pray that we would not only look back with great gratitude and joy that Jesus came and saved us, but that it would stir in our hearts a great anticipation because we know that Jesus is coming again. And 
oh, man, what joy that is going to be. Boy, you think that the first time was good. Boy, the second time is going to be amazing. And so this whole section, man, instead of being divided over disputable matters and Jews and Gentiles alike should unite in Jesus over the common ground of praise. We should just be praising the Lord. We should be united in the Lord. Uh, again, the recap, man, when we have differences and we're going to have differences in the body, how do we deal with each other? How do we respond to each other? We're not to judge. We're not to cause each other to stumble. We're not to violate our consciences. But we're to love each other. We're to, to be there for each other. We're to build each other up. We're to bear each other up when we're weak. We're to have each other's back and be watching the blind side so that there may be unity, so that we might glorify the Lord with one mind and with one voice. And again, don't try to do it in your own strength, but be strengthened by God's word, by prayer, by his Holy Spirit. And let us live, man, with great anticipation. Amen? So Lord, we love you. We thank you again for just the practicality of your word, for the simplicity and the depth, Lord, all at the same time. I thank you, Lord, again that you meet us where we are, but you don't meet us and accept us and, and save us to leave us. But, Lord, that you're doing a work in each one of our lives. And as we just journey together, Lord, as individual believers, Lord, that you're working on and working through, Lord, help us not to lose sight that it's not just about us, but that we're a part of something bigger. And as we journey individually, let us remember that we're journeying together, that we're pilgrims together. Help us, Lord, to deal with each other according to your word. Again, Lord, that we would be there for each other. Lord, that we wouldn't judge one another. Lord, that we wouldn't cause each other to stumble. Lord, that we wouldn't even violate our own consciences but that we would love and build up and help out, that we might walk in unity, that you might get all the glory, Lord. So be glorified through this body of believers here tonight, Lord. Be glorified in the, the, the lives of your church, especially in this season. Lord, as we remember what it is that you did for us, Lord, help us to, with anticipation, Look forward to what you're going to do. We love you, Lord. Bless us as we go. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this teaching of God's word presented by Siskiyou Christian Fellowship. We pray it's blessed you and given you a greater understanding of the Bible. To learn more about us, visit siskiyouchristianfellowship.com. Thank you.